0: Welcome to Super Thank on X-Ray FM.
1: And at the end of the night, and what I'm most thankful for, is that I suddenly had this feeling of connection.
2: I just want to say thank you for taking me under your wing, um, showing me your city, and making me feel part of it. I love you. There's
1: so many things that I wanted to, to, to thank. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know what? I'm going to write about my Graham because Graham is so evil, and I, she
0: just gets on my nerves at SuperThank have a mission to commit a billion acts of random gratitude. Local community members have jumped to the challenge by sharing some pretty amazing stories just to say thank you to someone. On today's show, we bring you two stories recorded this summer at SuperThank's live event downstairs at Eastburn in Southeast Portland. First up, Hansel Bordone. Hansel Bordone is the executive director of Carpe Mundi, a small nonprofit here in Portland with a mission of alleviating poverty by assisting first-generation students through their year of college. Her story of gratitude takes us to Africa's only Spanish-speaking country, and as you will hear her explain, the person she is thanking is an extremely unlikely one for an idealist like her.
2: Um, So about a year ago, I went to the World Domination Summit, and I heard a speech about setting personal goals in your life um, through the form of uh, bucket lists. Um, And so after that, I made my own bucket list, and on that list was getting up and telling a story in front of a crowd. So I want to thank you all for being here tonight and uh, helping me cross something off my bucket list. So for those of you that don't know me, um, I work in nonprofit. I always have um, considered maybe a little bit of a bleeding heart or a do-gooder, um, and I'm proud of that. I think that I've, I've been able to create a lot of change in my life. Um, but at a different part of my life, um, not only was I proud of that, but I was actually very prideful, um, and I actually had a lot of judgments towards people that chose to do different things in life, and um, I went to an undergrad school where a lot of people went into um, working in finance and these corporate careers, and I sort of had a lot of disdain for for some of those decisions. Um, However, that changed a lot um, when I worked in Equatorial Guinea um, for four years. And so I want to tell you the story about that um, experience. So um, for those of you that don't know anything about Equatorial Guinea, um, and you probably don't, um, it's a small country in Africa, and it's the only Spanish-speaking country in Africa. Um, That's right. There is a Spanish-speaking country in Africa. Um, It's also... um, Considered um, one of the most corrupt countries in the world, which is saying a lot. Uh, Additionally, um, it has a lot of oil and petroleum products that it exports. So it's actually the wealthiest country per capita in Africa. Um, But unfortunately, they actually have the lowest um, expenditures per capita in education. They really have a very backward education system. So in about 2007, I started working for a education um, organization project in Equatorial Guinea. Um, it was a very strange, strange existence. Um, there were a lot of things that happened to me while I was there. Um, I got shot at twice. Um, I had to pretend to be the president's concubine at one point in time to get through a military checkpoint. Um, I got stuck indoors for a week and a half when the Nigerian militants stormed the presidential palace. Um, And I got chased out of a tree um, by a a green mamba snake when I was trying to get cell reception. So a lot of uh, (laughs) funny stories there. Um, I also had a really strange personal existence. Um, most of the technical staff on the project that I was working um, were all from Latin America because of the Spanish language component. So I lived in this little village that was just all Latinos, right? So we had Argentinians and Colombians and Guatemalans and Peruvians and Nicaraguans. Um, and so it was basically like a constant tortilla fest. And we'd you know eat all these foods that um, I, you know, had been brought in suitcases from all over Latin America. Um, But during the day, I worked in the Prodeje office, um, and we had about a staff of 150 locals um, from lots of different tribes that spoke lots of different languages. Um, So that was always a challenge and always um, very interesting, and you never knew what was going to get thrown at you each day. And then on the weekends, because it's equatorial guinea we would hang out at these oil compounds and like play squash and sand volleyball and you know eat food shipped in containers from texas so it was a very very strange uh, couple years that i spent there so i want to tell you a little bit about the project that, that i worked on it was called Prodeje, which stands for the um Prod- uh, the program for the economic the educational development of equatorial guinea in spanish of course um and it had three components. Um, the first component was to create model schools throughout the entire country. Um, and so there were 50 model schools, and we constructed 50 new schools, and we um, purchased um, supplies, and we got a lot of you know different methodology taught in these 50 schools across the country. We also had a teacher training component, Um, so we trained over 1,500 teachers throughout the entire um, country, um, which was a challenge in itself. Um, And then the last component was we had a statistical unit um, within the Ministry of Education to be able to collect data about the schools and the repetition rates and the teachers and, um, and the children so that we could use that data to actually make policy decisions at the Ministry of Education level. So this program was Totally um, new something that had never been done in Equatorial Guinea before, um, and it was totally in step with the Ministry of Education. And keep in mind that this is one of the most corrupt countries in the world, so that was definitely a challenge. But the idea was not to go around the government, but to to work hand-in-hand with them, which is sort of a a novel concept um, for most of development aid in Africa. Um, So the story that I want to tell you tonight uh, is about um, a graduation ceremony that I was tasked with organizing um, about three years into my time in Equatorial Guinea. Part of the teacher training component, we had a three-year program where teachers would work every Saturday and Sunday in the different districts um, to be able to learn a new different teaching methodology, as well as to actually get up to speed with the subjects they're supposed to be teaching. Um, because before this program, all this country, the teachers in the country, um, the only requirement that they had had previously was that they have had graduated from fourth grade. So as you can imagine, that trying to teach, teach- teachers who have only have a fourth grade education how to effectively teach multi-grade classrooms uh, is a bit of a challenge. Um, but they were very proud and they were excited to be enrolled in this program. And um, each weekend, even though they were you know, in the classroom for five days, they would come each weekend to these district capitals and do the teacher training program. And over the period of four years, we um, tested these teachers, and we ended up with about 1,200 of them that completed the program. Um, So it was a really big deal, and I was tasked with creating this graduation ceremony in the town of Bata, which is the second largest city in Equatorial Guinea, um, for all of these teachers to come from all over the country to celebrate the fact that they had graduated from this program and that they were moving in a different step towards the education of their country and their own children. So, uh, as you can imagine, trying to organize a graduation ceremony for any number of people, um, there are a lot of inherent challenges. Now, when you're trying to do it in an African country that has never had that many people in one area before because they're worried about um, riots and things like that, um, and also people who've been in the countryside that have never been to the cities before, there's a lot of challenges, and organizationally it's totally crazy. Um, But I took on this challenge and I was very excited about it. I bought, um, got these robes donated from a company here in the States and shipped by container to Africa. Um, I had these diplomas that were um, written up with all of the teachers' names on them and I shipped them from New York, DHL uh, and DHL actually sent them to Papua New Guinea, so I had to redo that. Um, (laughs) But uh, I had to have chairs flown in from some of the other cities and neighboring countries so we'd have enough chairs in this um, auditorium But um, about two days before the graduation ceremony, we had a dress rehearsal, and all of these teachers came from across the country. And we were all lined up in this um, auditorium, and I was trying to – figure out how to organize them so that they could you know in a very orderly way get up and walk in front of the front table and pick up their diploma and um, if you can imagine sort of little old me trying to explain this to uh, an auditorium of 1200 people who have totally different ideas of what organization looks like Um, it was a little bit of a disaster the um, air conditioning was out it was about 110 degrees inside this auditorium and it it was just miserable and I didn't think it was going to be possible I had no idea how we were going to pull this off um, and I just almost collapsed then and there but uh, as the next couple days went along we tried to sort of troubleshoot some of the the problems that came up uh, and there were many Um, but we kind of took them in stride and uh, the day of the graduation ceremony um, I got there and every single one of those teachers was in their seat there was not a single seat that was empty Um, and the you know the high officials from the ministry of education and the ministry of finance and all those people with their um secret security and, and all that kind of stuff came and uh they were all there on time which also never happens in africa i don't know how that happened um and uh you know i was really nervous but i had a lot of support for my team um we did an you know incredible job in, in planning for that um and um you know the ceremony opened, and there were a lot of speeches about the future of Equatorial Guinea and the transition into taking their education into their own hands, and the sort of the pride that they felt in that. Um, and then, as the the teachers got up and went in front of the table, and they kept getting their diplomas, I was so worried that they would get the wrong diplomas because if one person in this entire room was out of out of sync, they wouldn't have gotten the right diploma, and then you know it would have just kind of been chaos. And a lot of the names sound the same, and it just would have been a total nightmare. Um, but somehow, and I'm not not really sure how, um, as each of the, the sort of rows of teachers came back and sat down, I, I kind of leaned over and asked, I was like, did you get the right diploma? Is that your diploma? And all I got back was these giant smiles, and they'd show me their diploma, and there was just this incredible pride beaming from these teachers. And uh, there was this one woman, when I, when I leaned over and asked her if she got the right diploma, she looked at me, and she just jumped up and gave me this giant hug, and she said, I've never had a piece of paper with my name on it before. And she was very excited, and she was, I was very proud of her. Um, so anyway, I, um, all the difficulty that, that I went through in those, those four years in Equatorial Guinea was worth it to me for that one day. Um, and, you know, I can't wait to interview children who have gone through some of those model schools 20 years from now and hear about their experience and what it meant to be part of the Prodeje model schools and and to be a protagonist of their own education, which is kind of a tagline that we used. Um, so I'm really excited about what might happen in the future for Equatorial Guinea. Um, so that brings me to the reason that I'm here today. Um, the Prodeje program um, was not financed by the USAID or, you know, the European Union or some of these other big organizations that finance education projects. It was actually the brainchild of John Hess, who is the owner of the Hess Oil Corporation. And it was funded by the Hess Oil Corporation in conjunction with the government of Equatorial Guinea. Um, at the time, it was the largest public-private partnership in education that existed in the world. It still may be. Um, and the Hess Corporation is in for another $50 million for a second phase um, when they want to move into secondary education. So um, I... You know, in four years of working with an oil company and having all these preconceptions about who they were, what they were doing, and um, I, that all changed for me for those four years when I got to, got to work with individuals who supported us wholeheartedly. Um, we would not have survived as an organization in Equatorial Guinea without the support of that company. Um, you know Equatorial Guinea was considered the country where projects go to die, um, and so the mere fact that we survived and not only that but were successful and really sort of inspired a lot of teachers and students throughout the country um, is a real testament to the support that they gave so um, I want to be thankful to to John Hess and the Hess Oil Corporation and all of the people that I worked with during that those four years um, and I also just want to be grateful for Collaboration and for insight um, from wherever it may come. And I will never again be blinded to ideas from people who have different paths than I do. Thank you.
0: Thanks to Hansel Bourdon for that story, recorded live at Eastburn for our most recent gratitude storytelling event. You are listening to Super Thank on X-ray FM. I'm Blue. We'll be back in just a moment with another story about being thankful after this short break. Back to Super I'm Blue. We're going to turn next to a story from Portland native and librarian assistant Ashley Pascal.
1: Hi, you guys. So, um, I actually needed help with this word. So, if I butcher it, the word is actually um, bull, bull, building Roman. Building's Roman. You guys know the word. The ger- It's a German word. So basically the word means coming of age. And we work at the library, and so that word comes up quite a bit because it's a coming of age story. It's another way of saying coming of age, growth, going through hoops and obstacles to become who you are, end of quote. Maya Angelou, she wrote a lot about that, a lot of coming Majority of her work, majority of her speeches, majority of anything she did, said, touched, ate, braised, was talking about coming of age, coming into herself. And I was a sophomore in high school. I went to St. Mary's Academy where they paired us up with mentors. I have no idea who my mentor was. I don't think I remember her name even then, and I don't remember her name today. I just remember she played soccer, and she took me to see Maya Angelou at the Arlene Snitcher Hall. And um, listening to my Angela talk, who was really, she was really funny, actually. If you didn't get to ever see her talk or hear one of her speeches, it's kind of sad. You should probably YouTube or Google her because she's really funny. One of the things that she said she wanted us to all go away with is um, the concept of having a rainbow in your cloud. So um, I just want to hear you guys say, rainbow in my cloud. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> so it actually means, um, it's the same as saying, you know, there's a silver lining in every situation, but, you know, my answer didn't say silver lining, so I don't care about that. She said, this uh, rainbow in a cloud. That's all that matters. Um, oh, so now creating a thank you. I actually, I don't know, maybe some of you guys didn't, but I actually found it like really, really challenging to create my... Thank you. I mean, the fact that this is called SuperThink, that doesn't really help at all. <laughs> I, just to be honest, I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I have to thank, of course, my mom. Like, you know, who, you know, but it's like because she's the most amazing person ever. and She gave me life. But then it's like all these other people. In places, and events, and movements, and the trees, and the birds, and <laughs> like, there's so many things that I wanted to, to, to think, and I was like, oh my gosh, you know what, I'm going to write about my gram, because gram is so evil, and I, she just gets on my nerves, but she wasn't always like that, and as a kid, you know, she taught me yard work, and, and I just, I felt wrong, you know, whatever. So this no, this is not about my evil Graham. <laughs> Although I am thankful for her, I um. So basically, so many different people and ideas and concepts and things came to me, and I began to feel just a little bit overwhelmed. So, um, have you ever really tried to prioritize like the things you were thankful for? I mean, that's like saying I love you, mom, and then I love you brother, but I love mom more. I mean, you can't, you can't prioritize certain things. Some things, they just simply are. So I had a really hard time prioritizing all of the different things I um, am thankful for. And so in that process, I began to reflect. Um, and I came to realize that all of the things that I am thankful for, and all the people, and smiles, and birds, and trees, and rain, and sun, and um, you know, strangers and trimet. I just, <laughs> I realize, <laughs> I realize that they all are my DNA, not as in DNA as in genetics, but they all help and shape who I am right now and how I react to situations in my attitude, which can be good or bad. Um, So... And I also realized that we take all of these things with us, um, which is what Maya Angelou said. She said everywhere she goes, she takes her rainbows and her cloud, because they are so her support and she pulls strength from them. I remember one time I was just, I was in middle school and you know, and I'm a girl. And so you know what happens to girls they are like in adolescence and you know their mind and hormones and the world sucks and nobody understands you. You have no friends, but you have all these other friends. You can't talk to anybody, you won't talk to this person. Everything was going on, okay? And one day, I just got on the bus, and the fact I remember, the bus driver said, oh, you look so much prettier when you smile. That right there. A rainbow in a cloud. So simple. So um, I am here to give rainbows. I'm mean, to give thanks to the rainbows in my clouds. But I also am here to talk about um, my very first cloud, which happened in middle school. I, I You know, middle school kind of seems to be a theme of what some of us hear. And I, um, middle school was just a very hard time for me. I mean, the fact that, like, you know, I'm a girl, and I'm going through the hormones, I'm trying to figure out life, and I want to know who I am, who I'm not, and friends, and no friends, and bullies, and no bullies, and rumors, and group, you know, just all these different things. And so the way my mom helped me with that was that um, she made me do what I didn't care to do and didn't want to do, which is volunteer. And the very first thing I ever volunteered for in my whole entire life of volunteering was the bus project. It was my very first, the very first rainbow in my cloud. I was in sixth grade, so in sixth grade, you're like 12, 13 13 years old, and my mom, I had no idea what I was doing. All I know is I woke up extremely earlier than I would want to, and I was in front of Grant High School with a lot of people who were at least thirty years older than me and I got on a bus with them and we went to some small city in Portland that I've never in my life heard of and I don't even remember where it is and I knocked on these strangers' doors and I told them I just read a script and they thought I was cute and I asked them if they were like race church volunteer and instead of talking about what I you know what the script said, they were talking to me about Just irrelevant stuff, like, school, Like, (laughs) and so I did this a few times. went to a few different places. Um, I had squeaky cheese for the first time. I even went to a bar, you know, but I didn't drink or anything. But it's just simply being a part of that movement and being with all of those different people and being so young and at such a vulnerable place in life where I was, the Bus Project has taught me a sense of purpose. Everyone says purpose. How you know, you guys must not know your purpose because that was kind of weak also. Can, can you guys say purpose? Purpose! Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Oh, okay, yeah, and so it gave me a sense of purpose and what it meant to be passionate about something and how you can take what makes you passionate and how you can fight for it and how you can have a voice for the unjust and what it means to have a voice and how you can basically work in a system... With other people, although you feel like you are different and although you feel like you don't belong, you always belong because that's your niche, and it makes you different. And, I mean, it can also tie into that's what, like, democracy is for and why it's important for you to vote for the things that you love and you're passionate about and what drives your purpose, but, you know, I'm not here to preach to you guys. So without the rainbows in my cloud, um, I wouldn't be who I am today. I wouldn't be here And I just also wanted to end it by saying the best way to say thanks is by doing.
0: Thanks to Ashley Pascal for her story. That's it for this edition of Super Thank. I'm Blue. You can find us on the web at superthank.org. Call us and leave a story on the voicemail. 503-610-610. Our next live storytelling event in Portland is happening soon, September 9th. You can find out more and stay up to date on our Facebook page. Special thanks to Portland's own Pottington Bear for all the music heard on this program. More of these special sounds can be found on his website, pottingtonbear.com.